King of Kings, how are you tonight? Good. Praise the Lord. Glad to hear it. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Yeah? Many of you celebrated Christmas yesterday and all over the world. Let me just welcome you back into the house. It's been an eventful couple of weeks, so I'm glad you're here. I know it's cold outside. It's been raining a lot. My goodness, those of you that live uh, here in the country, you know what cold and rain does to your house. Get out the bleach, spray the mold. Now it makes sense in the Torah why we have laws about mold in the house, doesn't it? You see, to those watching on camera from around the world, welcome, but you don't understand that verse. We get it here in Israel. Mold is going crazy right now. Praise the Lord for his word. Keeps us healthy and safe. Welcome, happy holidays. If we don't see you till next week, happy new year as well. We'll say it again to you next week. Let me welcome everybody watching online, King's Community Live, Facebook Live, uh, YouTube, all the other platforms. Welcome to King of Kings tonight in Jerusalem. We have uh, some special people watching also from Malta. So welcome, those of you watching from Malta, those from Costa Rica. We have lots of countries that, that watch and connect, so welcome to King of Kings tonight and bless you on this holiday season. We have lots of people, of course, traveling, doing some vacation things um, at this time as well. Let me bring you greetings from Europe. That's where I was the last two weeks. Thank you, Pastor Mike and Pastor Wayne for bringing us the, the powerful word of God the last two Sundays leading up to today. But I bring you greetings from Hosanna Congregation uh, and Pastor Gregor, also from Dustin and Susan. So those of you that knew the Pratts, the Pratts uh, were part of KKCJ for a long time, part of the worship team. They helped lead the prayer tower for a while as well. I uh, got to spend some time with them. I bring you greetings from another King of Kings congregation, EFG in Germany, Pastor Gunther and his team. We met together also from AKI in the board with Holger and Elke and uh, Andres and the whole team. Uh, they send their love and their, their blessings this holiday season to all of us here in the King of Kings family, including my stop in Sicily with B'nai Ephraim and uh, it was great to be with Pastor Nazarena and Eleanor and the whole team there. Blessings to you guys uh, if you're able to watch tonight. Uh, it was great to be with you. Thank you for feeding me so much food. I appreciate it. Just a quick note, if you're going to Sicily, don't fill up on course number one. I was not alerted to that fact. Um, I, they brought me a wonderful, it was some kind of Chinese uh, sweet and soury chicken. I went crazy on it. It was great. And I knew they were looking at me a little funny, but I thought I was honoring the host. But I went crazy on these couple of plates of it. And then they brought out a big bowl of couscous and chicken. And I thought, well, we'll make room for that. So we went ahead and put down that bowl as much as we could. And then they brought me some fish and potatoes after that. And so when the third dish arrived, I thought, you know what? I better ask. I, I need to know how to pace myself here. So I asked the host, is this the last dish or should I expect more? And they were so sweet. There's like, oh, there's only one more. Like only one more. Praise the Lord. They were so gracious, such good hosts. So I bring you greetings from the Esther Foundation, from Durstein Foundation, and those that help King of Kings personally, all of our partners around the world, they want to wish you 
Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. So thank you guys for letting me take that short trip to minister to them. Now you might say, um, hey, Pastor Chad, I remember that at Sukkot, we focused a lot on the birth of the Messiah and we do that every year here at King of Kings around the Sukkot season. And there's a reason for that. We do it at Sukkot. We do it right here in December as well. Um, because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when the Lord was born. And so we try to connect some pieces. And regardless of when we celebrate it, we're excited that the Lord was born. Amen. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that impacted us as a world tonight. Um, but I did come across some interesting reading this week. Because in the early phases of the body of Messiah, after Yeshua's ascension, the disciples go out to the world, they're preaching the gospel, they're setting up new congregations around the world. During this phase, there's already some hints that there are some celebrations, there's some re remembrances of a miracle that happened in December. Isn't that cool? Now, we would say, well, if you add up all of the facts and the Romans and the shepherds and the star and the sheep and the outside and the sukkah and the gifts and all that, that all, it fits way better to Sukkot. I agree. It certainly does. The prophetic meaning, the end of the age, God coming with us, Emmanuel, it all fits way better at Sukkot. I get it. And we preach that. But in Jewish culture, do you know they, they, they celebrated holidays for miracles that God did? And that would make a lot of sense that in the early church days that they would see the miraculous conception of Miriam as the miracle. And they would have said, that's a day we need to celebrate. So for those of you, depending on what year, time of year you're into, if you like Sukkot, go with it. If you like Christmas, go with it. But there's a place for some of us that can do both for those of us that receive the miracle and the Jewish marking of the miracle of the virgin birth and count nine months forward and you arrive at Sukkot. And it works, right? Now, I'm not preaching that like that's the gospel truth and that's in stone. I'm just saying it works out pretty nicely. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for being born. And thank you for everybody who helped us with the parties this week and the caroling went very well. So what I want you to do for the next few minutes, I want you to sit back. I want you to open up your heart to the word of God for a feast. Can we just pray? Lord in heaven, we love you. Your word is always a feast to us. We want to mark this day as a miracle that somewhere in this season, you did a miracle, God, that you put yourself into human form and human flesh. And that is the miracle Thank you, Lord. We bless you today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. I know you've been eating a lot. I can tell. No, that's just a joke. I'm not. I can't see anything. There's lights and everything. You look trim. You look good. Some of you are leaning down. I get it. It doesn't really matter because your new, new Year's resolutions are just a week away. So go for it. Cinnabons. My wife. It was so cute. I got to just tell this story. I got it. Can I just take a moment? We're good on time. Are y'all good tonight? Too bad. Anyway, um, so my nephew, if you, Logan, if you're watching, I got to tell the story. Uh, my nephew, I'm, I got a chance to marry him last year and do their wedding. And he had been an intern with King of Kings the year before that. And uh, just a wonderful relationship. And so his wife, Emily, loves to learn how to cook from my wife, Rebecca, who 
Those of you that know her, it's amazing, right? So um, if you've experienced that, you're welcome. So a long time ago, his wife, Emily, tried to learn how to make Cinnabons, cinnamon rolls, but Cinnabons and cinnamon rolls are not the same thing. Cinnabons are like, woo, way up here. Cinnamon rolls are not bad, but Cinnabons. So my wife makes Cinnabons. And so Emily tried to learn how to make them. So it was so cute. Yesterday, they wake up. Emily's made some, some cinnamon rolls, trying to be Cinnabons. I don't know, but Emily did a good job. So they send me a picture, and they're so proud of this, this cinnamon roll. It was so cute. So I wrote back, so I took a picture of what my wife made. And I said, so, so my wife made 24 full-size Cinnabons. Like each Cinnabon is like this large. Like you can take a nap on it. I mean, it's huge, right? The calories, you just, you gotta pray afterwards. But there's a lot going on there. And, and so she made 24 of these. And so it's laid out in this huge pan of these Cinnabons and this icing. And it's just like, Holy Spirit is on it. You know, it's amazing. And, and so I take a picture of it and I send it back to my nephew and I said, oh, that little cinnamon roll is really cute. Look what the big boys and girls do. Yeah. Trying to get into the holiday spirit. So I wore my bigger coat today. Let's get in the word of God. Mark chapter two. I said that only to point out that if you look sleepy, because of what you've been eating, I give permission to your neighbor to lovingly tap you and wake you up. Mark chapter two, starting in verse 13. This is gonna be our main text, but listen to what I wanna do tonight. I wanna take the main text, dissect it, then we're gonna do a compare and contrast of what Mark says for the same story from Matthew and from Luke, okay? So this is the main one right here. Mark chapter two, verse 13. Once again, Yeshua went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Yeshua told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Yeshua was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Yeshua said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So who was present? Remember, we're in our perspective series. We like to look at different perspectives of people who were in the story and then different perspectives of writers who saw the story and how those pieces fit together. Who was present? Well, Yeshua was obviously there. There was this group called the crowd. This is a group that's always around. There's a man named Levi. Later, you're gonna find out that this guy named Levi is Matthew. There were a group called many tax collectors, then there's a group called sinners. There were obviously his disciples. Then there were the teachers of the law. And then there were the Pharisees. Somewhat connected, but sometimes they're described as different groups. So these are all of the people in the story right here, getting a different perspective, looking at it from different angles. Interestingly, why would there be so many tax collectors in one spot? Well, there's a really good explanation for this. If you were able to join us in our last discipleship semester, 
you had three classes to choose from. One of the classes was called Bridging the Testaments. And Pastor Wayne and I co-taught that together. It was a lot of fun. And on one of the evenings of that class, we talked about the description and the prophetic word in the book of Matthew called Galilee of the Nations. And when we did a little research on this, we found out that there, right around the Sea of Galilee, there's a cluster of cities that are very important to Yeshua's ministry. But there's also the Mediterranean Sea is close by. You have the Sea of Galilee. There's actually another lake that they fish on, a small river running between them. And so the triangulation of water produced a lot of fishing trade and therefore a lot of business trade in the Galilee area, which produced a lot of jobs, which produced a lot of income, which of course meant taxes. Right? We all see how that works, right? And where there's a lot of money and income, there needs to be a lot of taxes. There needs to be a lot of tax collectors. That's why there were so many more tax collectors in that triangle near the Galilee than in other parts of the country. We have a little map of it. Guys, did that map show up in our notes? No. Yes. Look at all of the, the towns. I'm going to have to turn around so I know it's bad camera etiquette, but I have to turn around too to look at it. But look at the Sea of Galilee kind of right there. In, it's a little blue next to the orange. And look at all of the famous towns around the Galilee that you read in the scriptures. First of all, there's Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, the Gennesaret, Magdala. That's where Mary, Miriam, Mary Magdalena from Magdala. Tiberius is there. Cana is there. Nazareth is there. So you have all of these very famous towns right near the Galilee, why there was so much trade, and that's why there was so many tax collectors. So this is where Matthew is from. As a matter of fact, we did a little research. You might be surprised how many disciples come from that triangulated area. I asked this in our discipleship class before I gave them the answer, and some people said three, some said five, and some said seven. Up to seven of the 12 they thought would come from this area. The problem is all 12 come from this area. Peter and Andrew come from Bethsaida and Capernaum. Look at your map. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, comes from Cana. James and John, sons of Zebedee, come from Bethsaida and Capernaum before they moved to Jerusalem. James the Younger, also his brother Jude, who some of your translations call Thaddeus, they were also from the Galilee. Judas Iscariot was from the Cryot. It's actually in that name, right? Judas Iscariot, that's Yehuda Ish Cryot. It's a man from the Cryot up there near Haifa in the north. Matthew, also called Levi, the tax collector here, lived in Capernaum. Philip was from Bethsaida. Simon the Zealot from the Galilee. And Thomas, some of your Bibles call him Didymus, was from the Galilee. They're all from this area. Isn't that amazing? that Yeshua did so much earthly ministry, but he drew from the people of this area because he spent so much time in this area. Don't forget where he grew up. Born in Bethlehem, but not raised there. Raised in Nazareth, right? So there's this idea that he knows them. He knows their families. There's, there's a certain measure of intertwining going on to this particular region. That's why there's so many tax collectors there. And in these verses, 
Yeshua describes himself as the doctor. Now, this would make a lot of sense because so far in his ministry, he's already kind of awakened Israel's energy to the fact that he's going around healing people constantly. So it's not a surprise that he would say, I'm the, I'm the doctor. Okay, that makes sense. It's easy to grasp. We see what you're doing. But he ventures into new territory. He says, I didn't come to call the healthy, but the sick. Okay, we get that. And then he drops a bombshell on them. Something I think changed their thinking. Something I think surprised them. We get the doctor and the healthy. Great. And then he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, why would Yeshua feel the need to juxtapose these two groups in describing the very purpose in which he came? We're talking about the coming of the Messiah, the birth of the Lord. But when Yeshua talks about his purpose for coming, he says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. And I think that that sounded foreign to the listeners in this region. It sounded foreign. It didn't sound right. Wait. Some of us have dedicated our lives to obeying the Torah. Some of us are teachers of the law. Like we know it so well, we teach this stuff. Some of us are professors and Pharisees and Sadducees, scribes. What do you mean you didn't come for the righteous? Of course God comes for the righteous. Why else would he come? And Yeshua was giving them a brand new thought, a brand new train of thought. No, that's not who I came for. I came for the sinners. The crowd starts to perk up. Wait a second. For us? Well, first of all, you'd have to be humble enough to put yourself into the sinner category. I came for the sinners, not the righteous. You came for us? I came for tax collectors. You think it's a coincidence that he's talking about this message about the tax collectors and sinners where there's the most tax collectors collected all in Israel? Yeshua is so famous for talking to the people that he's with. If he's with the fishermen, he's talking about boats and nets and fishes and hooks and bringing in harvest. And if he's talking to the farmers, it's all about seeds and wheat and soil, seasons, rain. When he's talking to the soldiers, it's about helmets and swords and army and armor and chariot. He will pinpoint whoever he's talking to in that crowd and he will make the gospel about them. The message never changes, but the method does. We are married to the message. We are not married to the method. And Yeshua is the perfect example of that here. But to the listener's ear, they just heard the professing Messiah, known to be a prophet, thought to be a rabbi and a great teacher, say clearly, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners. I didn't come for the faithful believers. What? Where is our reward? What are you talking about? That doesn't even make any sense. Imagine what the disciples had to internalize there for a moment. You know, you know, these guys always had to fight pride, I'm sure. They're sitting over there like, go ahead, Yeshua, give it to them. Yeshua starts his sermon. I'm the great doctor, the great physician. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. 
I'm Peter, I'm John, I'm James. I'm looking down on the, the religious leaders. Oh, he'll get to you, religious leaders. Give him a second. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners. Yeah, that's right. You see that? What? He just said he, he came and he called the sinners. Wait, Lord, you called me. That's right, Peter. Are you saying I'm a sinner? That's right, Peter. Welcome to the team. James, John, you guys, sinners, right? Come to the team. Thomas, Nathaniel, all of y'all, come on in. The disciples had to get hit with this message like, wait, we were called because we were sinners. That's right. You see, they had as much of a, of a wake-up call as the Pharisees had in that moment. You gotta understand, Yeshua was so good at pulling those layers off. The minute you think you got it, the minute you think you have figured out your own path of righteousness and salvation, he will lovingly remind you, nope. And he will pull that layer off just to let you see a little bit more. But the people who did perk up in the crowd were the tax collectors and the sinners. Because for the first time, they got to be included on the team. Yeshua didn't come to reward the righteous in his first coming. That will be a second coming according to Revelation twenty two twelve. 12. Look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. That will be next time. But this time in his coming, he came for the sick, the burdened, the broken, the lost, the sinners, the orphan, the widowed. And he welcomed them into his family, into his team, into his kingdom. And that was a new message to the ears of everybody in that crowd. Interestingly, in our perspective series, we don't only want to look at the people that were there, but how the gospel writers viewed it. Let me read the same passage again, but this time I'm going to read it from Matthew 9. See if you can catch the difference. It's very small, but you see if you can catch it. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Yeshua went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Okay, that was an obvious one, right? Levi. When Matthew writes it, he tells him the name he wants him to use. Isn't that funny? When Mark wrote it, they called him Levi. When Matthew writes it, he says, Matthew was there, I was there. Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Yeshua, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Yeshua was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Yeshua said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Did you catch the change? All of it's the same except the name, Matthew and Levi. Matthew got his own name in there. But the other change was he added a little quote from Hosea. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mark didn't put that in there. And if that came from Peter, then Peter didn't put it in there. But this quote comes from Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
an acknowledgement of God rather than the burnt offerings. And I sat and I contemplated that during study and I thought, you know what? You know why somebody like Matthew, who's the writer, remembers that and includes that? Because Matthew sees himself as the one who was the tax collector and the sinner. He was the one that needed God's mercy. And so he saw himself in that quotation. That's why he included it. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You can just see Matthew saying, I needed it. He was talking to me at that moment. That's why I wrote it down. I don't know how Peter missed it. Peter, Peter was focused on something else. His perspective was slightly different. But to Matthew, that mercy element was important, so he put it in there. As a matter of fact, Matthew puts it twice in his gospel, the same quote from Hosea. That's how much it meant to Matthew, that he was the sinner, that he needed mercy. He quotes it twice. Just like Matthew had a perspective and Mark had a perspective, Luke has a perspective. Let's read his account in chapter 5, verse 27. Again, my goodness, it's going to be such a small change and a tweak to the text, but see if you can get it in your spirit. See if it jumps out at you. It's a little quiz. It's a little test. Keeping you on your toes. Lock in. Stay engaged. Luke 5, 27. After this, Yeshua went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Yeshua said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi, we call him also Matthew, he held a great banquet for Yeshua at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Yeshua answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Did you catch it? I kind of underscored it for you. It's not, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinners. But somehow Luke got a piece, one more little piece of revelation. I didn't come for the righteous, but to call the sinners to repentance. Mark and Matthew left that part out. Luke gets it. He adds the phrase, I called them not to nothingness. I called them to repentance. And now we start to get a little bit more of an understanding of the purposes of Yeshua. Let me give you our key phrase of the night. Yeshua did not eat with and fellowship with sinners and stop at simply being kind to them, but called them to repentance. And make no mistake, Yeshua was very kind, very loving, very healing. He fed the poor. He welcomed the children, the orphans, the widows, the, the sinners, the tax collectors. He would even welcome religious leaders if they were humble enough to listen. He would welcome Roman soldiers if they were humble enough to join him. He opens his arms and his heart to everybody. Everyone gets to see his power equally if they will just stay near him. But he didn't just come to the earth to be kind. He came to call sinners to repentance. You say, well, why is this important? 
because it shapes how we live life in the example of Yeshua. We're going to encounter unbelievers, hopefully often. And we're always challenged with the idea of, how do I go about this? What is it that I do? How do I act around people who are not believers? How are we called to relate to, quote, sinners? We say that humbly because we were them. Matthew chapter 18 gives us a little glimpse of something that apparently it thinks we should know already. I want to read it to you because I think the, the disciples would have heard it a little bit differently than we might have heard it because there was something they were already expected to know about eating with sinners. Listen to what it says in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brothers or sisters sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they, will still refuse, if they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the congregation. And if they refuse to listen even to the congregation, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The disciples would, would have known what that meant. When he said, treat them like a pagan, a sinner, or a tax collector, they had already had experiences with Yeshua when he treated somebody like a pagan, sinner, and a tax collector. Because they had experience with him when he did that. So the question then is, how do we relate to pagan sinners and tax collectors if we're believers in the Messiah? What are we supposed to do? What are the Bible's instructions? Well, certainly there's a balance that we want to bring tonight. James 4 verse 4, for instance, gives us the warning on one side. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay, so that gives us a boundary on one side. We cannot be friends with the world. But does that mean we can't be friends with the people in the world or just the ways of the world, the thinking of the world, the relativistic moving moral standard of the world? But certainly it can't mean we, we can never fellowship with an unbeliever because Yeshua did it. And he told us to treat non-believers the way he treated the non-believers. And how he treated the non-believers was this story. I talked to them. I fellowship with them. I went to their house. I had meals with them, which is very intimate in that time. And I even took heat. I took accusation from the religious leaders for doing it. So on the one hand, we have Yeshua saying, eat with them, be with them. Grow in your friendship with them. And on the other hand, we have, don't be friends with the world and all, all that it's trying to sell you. There's a balance somewhere in here. And I think that the balance really comes from when we're with those that are not yet believers is to love them the way Yeshua loved them. Don't accept their way of life as if it's okay, but love them the way he loved them. 
He had meals with them. He healed them. He prayed for them. He brought them into larger friendship circles. But at the end of the night, at some point in the relationship, he didn't just call the tax collectors and the sinners. He called them to repentance. And there is the boundary on the other side. When we fellowship with unbelievers, which we should, and we should love them as much as possible, it cannot be a relationship simply to just be kind to them with no ending in sight. There must be a point where we do with the unbelievers that which Yeshua did with the unbelievers, which is love them, serve them, welcome them, greet them, eat with them, and call them to repentance. There has to be an end to that game. There must be a target and a purpose to that relationship. Yeshua didn't come out of heaven during these, these moments that we celebrate and come to earth just to be kind. That was not what he did. That was not the purpose of the coming, just to be kind and to have a nice meal and to heal some people. It was to call the world to repentance. So when we think about how do we treat the unbeliever, we see the boundaries on both sides. We should be with them. We should not embrace what they teach and what they stand for. We should build relationship with them, but not to the end where we never preach the gospel. Because that's not what Yeshua did. He gave his life for us, the sinners, but was faithful to call people to repentance. And that has to be a goal in our relationship with people, one of the goals. You might say, how long? That's a question I get a lot. A lot. How long? I'm not, I'm not telling you a number. I'm not telling you how long or how quickly. But this is what I've learned. If I can just tell you a couple of things that I've learned over time. The longer you wait, the harder it is to tell them about Yeshua and who you are and to introduce the idea of God's love for them. The longer you wait, the harder it is. But also, the longer you wait, the more they can feel deceived that you spent all this time and months or years and, and you tried to get inside the relationship and then pop this this news, you think it's wonderful, but they don't think it's wonderful. So I would just give one warning without giving any rules. I'm just gonna give one warning. Being led by the Holy Spirit, obviously job number one here, but waiting too long has risks. It gets harder for you and it gets harder for them. And can I just say, Yeshua doesn't seem to wait that long. At most, at the very most, he waited three and a half years. That's the very most he could have waited. His earthly ministry didn't start till age 30. He died somewhere at 33, and he had called everyone to repentance by then. So at most, it was three and a half years. Hopefully you like my math on that one. So we have balances. We have what does Yeshua do? How does he do it? We have warnings to not do something. We have risks if we don't do it a certain way. But we also have Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur 
one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, there's another warning. It's helping us to draw the boundary theologically. We cannot stop meeting together as believers. So you can't just take only meeting together with unbelievers. Can't do that. You gotta meet together with believers. But you also can't only meet with believers. You have to do what Yeshua did and meet regularly with unbelievers. But in meeting the unbelievers, you don't embrace their thinking and their way of life. You bring kindness to them to a certain point and then at some point you have to reveal who you are, who Yeshua is and call them to repentance. And that becomes the boundary of what Yeshua showed us and the very purpose for which he came to the earth. Acts chapter 2, 46, it says of the believers, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Next Sunday, we're gonna kick off the new year with Vision Sunday. And I'm gonna walk us through all of our mission statement, our core values, our pillar principles, why we do what we do and how we do it. And this kind of a text plays into what we're gonna lay out. Why we do at KKCJ what we do. Time with believers is important. Be faithful to it. But time with unbelievers is equally important. Be faithful to that. And when you're relating to the unbeliever, like Yeshua said, you follow his pattern. Kindness, love, servanthood, but at some point, led by the Holy Spirit, you call them to repentance. You will never love them more than the moment you call them to repentance. Right? Mm, that's a tough word. That's a tough one. If you're keeping score at home on the amens for that one, it was zero. But I understand why because that's a hard thing. Because as soon as I said that, if you're engaged in this sermon, your brain just went to all the friends that you know and you're relating with and you're like, okay, oh, I'm feeling panic. Pastor Chad, you're putting pressure on me. It's not what I'm doing. What I'm asking you to do is follow Yeshua's lead. Ask the Holy Spirit, when is that moment? When is that door open? But when the door is open, friends, that's the moment of faithfulness. You have to jump through it and take that moment and love them like you've never loved them before by sharing Yeshua with them. It's the greatest love you'll ever give them. This was his purpose in coming. Now let me look at a couple of perspectives as we close. First, let's look at Matthew or Levi. He heard the call of Yeshua and he followed him immediately. That means his heart had already been longing for this call. Like Peter, James, John, Andrew, they dropped their nets and left immediately. Their heart was longing for this call. But there were many sinners there as well. All those that were far away from God 
Maybe they had been surprised that they were welcomed into the sermon. Maybe they were even more surprised when they were welcomed to the meal with this great and famous rabbi. And he stated in his very purpose for being that he came for them. If you're not a believer in Yeshua tonight and you're wondering what is your purpose on the earth, it's not as hard of a question as you think it is. Your purpose is to meet your creator and ask him what he created you for. And what he will tell you is, I created you to rule and reign with me in all of my creation, just like I did Adam. But in order to get to that end goal, something is separating you from me right now. Let me take away the thing that's separating us. And how I do that is I died on the cross and I shed my blood, my innocent blood for you to pay the price for your sins that I could take away the separation. You could be with me. I could train you for what I created you for. There it is. The big universal question is not that hard. If you don't know Yeshua today, this is a great day to know him. So there was Matthew, there were the sinners, there's this group called tax collectors. Mainly they were known to be cheaters and swindlers. They were very opportunistic. They're all clustered up in this upper Galilee region. I'm sure it was a surprise, not only that they were welcome to eat with Yeshua and that his purpose in coming included reaching out to them as well, but it had to strike them that he called one of their own into his team. You see, that's putting your feet where your mouth is, right? That's acting on your words. I, I came to call the sinners and the tax collectors. Can we come? No, you can't. That would have been a strange sermon. But when he said, I came to call the sinners and tax collectors, Matthew, hey, Matthew the tax collector, come with me. Be on my team. He was walking out what he was talking about. You know what I mean? He already had all the group of sinners. The other disciples, remember, they had to define themselves as sinners according to this call. So he had the sinners, he needed the tax collector. And he brought Matthew in and his, his actions followed his word. And I bet that surprised the other tax collectors. It's one thing to say something nice about them. It's another thing to ask them to join your team. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were probably stunned to hear that Yeshua didn't come for them. Now he came for them, they just didn't know he came for them because they saw themselves as righteous. And as long as you see yourself as righteous, you're not responding to his message. Their value had rested on their own evaluation of their righteousness. Why was God coming if it wasn't to reward the righteous? Perhaps this is part of the misunderstanding that not only played into their jealousy of him that led to murder, but also their lack of belief in him as Messiah. He didn't come for the reason that we thought the Messiah should come. How about the disciples? How did they feel when a tax collector joined the 12? How did they feel about being lumped into the group called sinners that Yeshua called to himself? And finally, the crowd. What was their perspective? 
They continued to follow Yeshua. They wanted to listen. They wanted to evaluate his words. They were probably very curious as to why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law also kept following Yeshua. Watching the interaction between Yeshua and the religious leaders gave the observers a chance to clearly compare their ministries. Worship team, you can come on up. You see, the crowd, this is my closing thought, the crowd got to follow him, watch the miracles, listen to the sermons. They saw the disciples, but they weren't a disciple yet. They saw how he related with these Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and then they get to see how he relates with unbelievers, sinners, and tax collectors. And they get to compare ministries side by side. Isn't this amazing? The crowd gets to compare ministries side by side. What were they observing? What was their perspective? Pharisees were saying, no, you're not clean enough. Get away from me. And Yeshua is saying, you're the very reason I came. The religious leaders were saying, you do not measure up. And Yeshua says, you don't have to measure up. I came to save you. I'll help you measure up. The religious leaders are plotting out of jealousy, murder of Yeshua. Yeshua is plotting to give up his own life. And the crowd gets to see the difference side by side in the two ministries, live and in person. That's why the passage closes with the phrase, and many in the area believed in him. Because they got to see it side by side. Now, I don't know who you are in the crowd tonight, what your perspective is. Maybe you, you liked Mark's version. Maybe you like Matthew's version. Maybe you like Luke's version. But I think we're supposed to put all of them together to get the full picture. Yeshua is the great doctor. He came to heal the sick, to find the lost. He called the sinners and the tax collectors to himself. But he didn't call them just to be kind to them, he called them to repentance, knowing that that was ultimately his highest action of love, to die for them, that they would repent and be free and relate with their, created, their creator father. That's our purpose in life. Be what we were created to be. Yeshua is the only one that can get us there. Can we pray? Yeshua, we say thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for your purposeful time with us. And we don't understand everything. We see in a mirror dimly. One day we're going to see it more clearly. But what we do know is that you came not only to be kind, but to call to repentance so that we might live out our created destiny. And that created destiny has to first start with admitting that we're sinners and we're in need of a savior. Holy Spirit, would you give us a heart for our friends, our family, our colleagues and neighbors? those that you flashed into our mind supernaturally a few minutes ago, how should we relate to them? What does it mean to eat with sinners and tax collectors, pagans and unbelievers? What does that mean exactly? 
At what point do we share Yeshua? Only you know. We know it must happen. That we purpose in our heart, that we are open to be faithful in the moments you open the door. Give us courage. Give us words. But let us never lose sight of the whole reason you came. Not just to be kind to the world, but to call us to repentance and let us follow in your footsteps. Thank you, Lord, for calling this sinner, this pagan, this tax collector that I was to your team and to your family. We thank you, Lord, that you did that for each one of us and you called each one of us by name, just like you did with Matthew. Let us never forget in this season how important that is, that you knew us by name and you died for us by name. Thank you, Lord Yeshua. Amen, amen.